Wales, check. England, check. We've already learned about the USMNT's first two group stage opponents. We talked about those two teams earlier this week. Today, we're talking Iran, who the US will play in their third and final group stage game. To fill us in on Iran, we called up Sahand Salari. Sahand is a part of the Golbazan podcast, which focuses on Iranian soccer. He joined the show to help us understand how Iran will play, how they could cause problems for the United States, and how players are responding to the current protests and unrest in their home nation. I'm Joe Lowry, and welcome to the Backheeled Show, where we bring you unique coverage of the USMNT in just 10 minutes or less. Here at Backheeled, we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So, let's get to it and talk soccer. I'm now joined by Sahand Salari from the Gold Bazan podcast. Sahand, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I want to talk about a few different aspects of Iran, and let's start with the managerial spot. There's been some weird shenanigans going on, at least from my perspective. Dragan Skocic led Iran through World Cup qualifying, then was dismissed in the summer, then hired again, then fired again. Carlos Quiroz is now in charge right now. Sahand, what what happened? Basically, to make a long story short, yeah, the team was able to qualify for the World Cup, but there were still like a lot of concerns regarding the actual performance of the team. I think the Federation wanted to basically uh, get rid of him, and there was a lot of disharmony in the camp. Uh, I think the players really weren't confident in his abilities, but unfortunately at that time, the Federation wasn't able to find a replacement or have the means to actually get rid of him. And then there was a new uh, election for the uh, president of our federation in the summer. And basically everybody was waiting until that election. And once that happened, the person who was elected, Mehdi Toj, who was the head of the federation previously with K. Roche, he basically had a plan in place to bring K. Roche back. And he did so within a few days of coming back. There are some challenges there. How does this team, though, play now under Carlos Quiros? What do they like to do with the ball? What do they do without the ball? How similar is this version of his Iran team to past versions? Well, he's only had a couple games, but it already seems like the players, and he even commented this, that he was surprised with how much they kind of remembered from the old setup and the old system. Uh, It's pretty key to note that it is basically the same group of players because this crop of players basically started in the qualification for the 2018 World Cup. There was only like three, two or three players left over from the 2014 World Cup. They started their cycle then. And so this was really meant to be like their World Cup in their prime. So it's, for all intents and purposes, the same group. So they're very familiar with him uh, and his demands. And I think defensively, he obviously has a very regimented structure. The team, uh, against especially the top opposition, is going to adopt a pretty low block. The wingers are going to be you know, tracking back a lot, covering the spaces. The midfield is going to be deep. And uh, they're going to rely on kind of quick transition moments with like one or two touch passing. And, you know, try to get the ball to uh, some of the star offensive players. Think about the U.S.'s game against Iran. So that's the the final game in the group stage for both of those teams. The U.S. is not really a, a power. They're not lacking talent either. How do you expect Iran to go about that particular game tactically? Do you think they're going to go for it and open up or will they be more compact? Well, it's the last game. So I think a lot depends on where both teams are at that stage. But assuming that Iran need to win the game, which I think is a fairly likely assumption. Um, 
I could see them adopting a pretty similar tactic to the one that they deployed against, say, Morocco in the first game of the 2018 World Cup, which we were successful in winning, uh, where, yeah, we're going to have a kind of deeper block and we're going to let probably the Americans have the ball because uh, they have a stronger midfield than, midfield than us and they have more technical players. And I think we're just going to rely on that defensive structure and the lack of experience, I think, that the American team has to kind of frustrate them and, you know, make the game physical, get them a little bit unnerved. And then I think we're superior in both boxes. I think we have a uh, superior kind of center back to center back or defensive partnership than what the U.S. center forward is going to bring. And I think on the other end, our players in the opposition box, Osman and Taremi, are much, you know, stronger than on paper and what we've seen recently that the U.S. center back combination has been able to kind of show on the field. So I think that's how we're probably going to approach the game. Who are one or two key players that U.S. fans should watch out for in this Iran team? Okay, I think everybody knows kind of about Mehdi Taremi. Uh, he's a striker for Porto. Um, he's been extremely consistent for the past three, four seasons in Portugal since he moved from uh, Qatar. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's really kind of has a complete package as a center forward. He's deceptively fast. He's very strong. He has very intelligent link-up play. Uh, he's a good finisher and, you know, he's not only our primary scorer, but you can also say he's going to be in a lot of senses, our primary playmaker. Uh, and he runs a lot. He covers a ton of ground uh, off the ball too. So I think he's going to be a key player. Um, obviously, Sardar Osmoun, uh, who plays for Leverkusen, he hasn't been in great form since he moved from Russia to Germany, but he's still, I think, shown in the Champions League multiple times that, you know, he's a quality player and he's a, more of, I would say, a, a traditional kind of in-the-box type of striker than um, Taremi, but he also will give us a lot of speed on the counterattacks. And then in the back, somebody who emerged in this cycle for us is our most consistent defender uh, is Mohamed Hossein Kanoni, um, and he plays in Qatar, uh, but he's an extremely physical center back. He's very quick. He's very good on the ball. And Kairosh initially brought him into the national team many years ago when he was just a teenager, actually. Uh, and since then, he had a couple bad injuries. But now, kind of at the um, age of 26, 27, uh, he's really coming into like the peak of his career. And, you know, he's been a really great player at the back for us during the qualification. Shifting focus slightly now to off the field items. How involved have Iranian players been either on social media or in other ways in speaking about the current protests and unrest and deaths in Iran after the death, after the death, excuse me, of Masa Amini in September, I think um, most of them have been pretty active on social media, uh, kind of expressing how they feel about the situation, uh, and mostly in support of the protests, questioning, you know, what the government is doing um, to the people. But well, and also in the league, I guess you know, a lot of players have not celebrated the goals they've scored. Uh, outside the players that are playing in Europe have. A lot of times worn black armbands. Um, Taremi actually got man of the match in a domestic game a couple of weeks ago and said he couldn't celebrate because of the situation going on in Iran. So, I mean, there has been that level of, you know, speaking out. Uh, as far as like in the national team camp, there's obviously more controls on the players when they're there. There's members of the security kind of apparatus uh, that are there with the team and kind of making sure that, you know, no um, statements or uh, sort of actions that the team can do as a group 
uh, when the country is watching um, are made. And we're going to see if that control remains or if the players are able to defy that during the World Cup. But it's like not a very you know straightforward situation where they can go and say or do whatever they want. The last question I have for you here is what defines a successful World Cup for Iran? Is it getting out of the group? Is it a key result? What does that look like for Iran? I think a successful World Cup uh, is going to be given the fact that we got four points in the last World Cup in a stronger group, I think, with Spain, uh, Morocco, and Portugal. And given the fact that this group of players is more or less that team with some more uh, individuals added and also the um, evolution of a lot of the players from that World Cup into much better players today. Uh, and the fact that this group, yeah, is a little bit weaker, I think, than that group, uh, or at least the teams are more even to us in terms of strength. I think that uh, success would be getting to the round of 16. Um, and I think it's possible. I don't think it's a guarantee by any means, but I think we're definitely in with a, we're definitely in with a chance. Sahand Salari, where can people find your work? We'll have a link to you down in the show notes, but anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, I mean, basically, Gold Bazan um, is going to be creating more content in the lead up to the World Cup. Um, also, just had an interview with Gareth Southgate, um, the England coach. That's also up on the Twitter, Gold Bazan, and on other platforms, YouTube, Spotify, too. And yeah, we're going to have more content uh, as we get closer. So, yeah. Excellent. Sahand, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. That's it for this episode of the Backheeled Show. If you're looking for more American soccer coverage, check out Backheeled.com for stories on the USMNT, the World Cup, and much, much more. I'm Joe Lowry. We'll talk again soon.